Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. Today is Star Wars Day, May the 4th. <laughs> may the 4th be with you. Thank you, and may the 4th be with you. <laughs> we have a special Star Wars segment for you, and then we're also talking about the Star series Shining Veil and the Pixar film Turning Red. Yay! All right. Let's let's get in. This is actually the, the Carrie's favorite Star Wars things. I know. So... Take it away. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. Buckle up your space pants because we're going to go through some stuff <laughs> real fast. Because I figured everyone who wants to know about Star Wars knows plots and things. So I was like, yeah. we're not going <laughs> to bother with that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm just giving you some of my favorite things. Okay. And we're going to start with the movies. Because, of course. Mm-hmm. So the first movie I saw, of course, was A New Hope. Because it was those were the ones that were out when I was eight <laughs> years old. And special shout out to Mrs. Zally of the third grade, who decided she didn't want to teach one week and just showed us all the Star Wars films. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I, the first time I saw A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back was in high school on the last week of classes and okay. one of my teachers was like we're always it was acting class and she was like we're gonna study performance and we're like mm, yeah okay <laughs> okay <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure that is the movie to study performance for but <laughs> no no really not at all <laughs> i also watched it in college i took a film i took a class on the blockbuster film Oh, cool. So that was the one we did for sci-fi and stuff. But anyway, so I was eight, and that sparked my love of it. And then the first movie I saw in theaters was The Phantom Menace, and I was mm-hmm. 11, and I it, like, <laughs> blew my mind. I know it gets a lot of hate, and I know the prequels get a lot of hate, and I think that is incorrect. <laughs> and I just want to say if you're someone who doesn't, love the prequels it might be time and you haven't seen them in a while it might be time to revisit them with new perspective and the pod racing scene in the phantom menace is one of the best action sequences ever so exciting and it made me want to be a pod racer and which is not a thing (laughs) and (laughs) and then the duel of the fate scene with obi-wan and qui-gon jinn and darth maul is another fantastic piece of action and choreography. And uh, I just think it's great. It's a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) And then my favorite movie of all we have talked about is The Force Awakens. Uh No explanation needed, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) I really like The Force Awakens a lot, too. So, yeah, that's right up there. I feel like it's very classic Star Wars, but it has a fresh perspective on it. Uh Yeah. So some of my favorite books, most of my favorite books are what are called the Legends series now because they're non-canon, which I don't really understand anymore. They're non-canon after Disney bought it. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why the prequel era books can't be canon because like Disney really just started with The Force Awakens. So mm-hmm. all of that era stuff had to be erased. But anyway, 
that's a different uh, conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So some of my favorite ones that I read as I was growing up, Rogue Planet by Greg Bear is set after the Phantom Menace. And it's about Obi-Wan and Anakin, who's now 12 years old. They go to a planet where they have some of the fastest starships in the galaxy, but they're sort of half organic. Oh. Or like most all organic or something. And uh-huh. each pilot like kind of grows and nurtures their own. And I just thought it was so interesting and cool. And I kind of want to go back and read it now. <laughs> oh, fine. And then The Approaching Storm by Alan Dean Foster is a prequel to Attack of the Clones. Uh-huh. There's a kind of a throwaway line in Attack of the Clones where Mace Window is like, oh, Obi-Wan and Anakin just got back from some planet, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> So they're free now. They can <laughs> they can protect the senator. And this book is about that mission. So Anakin and Obi-Wan and Luminera Unduli and Barris Afi. They're all Jedi and they go to a planet called Ancyon and it's it's about like trying to prevent them from separating from the Republic. But there are some really, really interesting scenes that I liked that we got some big characters in Obi-Wan and Anakin and then some lesser explored characters in Luminera and Barris. Mm-hmm. And then you have Shadows of the Empire by Steve Perry, which is a classic set between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And I don't really remember anything about it, but I remember that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> you might need to reread it. <laughs> I need to reread all of these, I think. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have The New Rebellion by Christine Catherine Rush. This was like my absolute favorite. I still have it. I definitely need to reread it. It's like falling apart because I read it so many times. Aww. (laughs) But it is set after Return of the Jedi. And it's about Luke and Leia and Han. And Luke has a Jedi Academy and he feels like this big disruption in the force so he has to go and confront a former jedi student who the synopsis says may hold the key to the mass destruction (laughs) it's really good and i remember this thing about the villain always wearing like a skull mask or something and i just thought that was really neat as like a 10 year old (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then of the new books the canon books the disney books I talked about Queen Shadow by E.K. Johnston before, and that's about Padme after she steps down from as Queen of Naboo and becomes a senator, and it's about her handmaidens, and I just think it's really cool that all the handmaidens got fleshed out, and that is part of a, a series. There are three books. I haven't finished the series yet, but E.K. Johnston is a really good writer, and she loves Padme and handmaidens, so I trust her a lot. The second book is called Queen's Peril, and it's actually about Padme's time during the Phantom Menace, during like the Trade Federation takeover and stuff like that. And then Queen's Hope is set right before, and I think maybe a little bit during Revenge of the Sith. So I love that Padme gets to be, we get to see her more than we saw her in the films, you know, she's very cool. Mm -hmm. And then just a couple, a couple last things. I can't talk about Star Wars, my favorite Star Wars things, without talking about the music. John Williams is awesome. 
<laughs> he did all of the Skywalker Saga films, and they're all worth a listen, I believe. <laughs> I think if you want to try one, hmm, I might try Revenge of the Sith. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's got some cool, cool ones, plus some classic themes. And then also quick shout out to Michael Giacomo, who did Rogue One. Mm. That's a very good score as well. And then video games, <laughs> there's one just called Episode 1 Pod Racer. It's just a racing mm-hmm. game, but it's awesome. I beat it twice when I was 11. <laughs> 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 and it's still available on Steam. I bought it on Steam. Cool. For like $4 or something. <laughs> nice. Nice. And uh, it's great if you like racing games and Star Wars. It's the perfect amalgamation of those. Mm-hmm. And then Lego Star Wars. There are a bunch of those and they're very fun. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of Star Wars games, and I haven't played many of them yet. I'm still deep in like my fantasy games, and I've tried a few, and my motion sickness kind of kicked, has kicked in. So I'm hoping to get uh, to some of the the other Star Wars games soon. Yeah, and then just a few quick toy things because I love toys. I'm like a big kid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I had this R2D2 lego robot oh like that you could program and stuff and i think it's still in my parents basement so that's pretty cool (laughs) all the legos in general Mm -hmm. i'm a big fan of the the vehicles the star wars vehicles and then Mm -hmm. i've got this little like bb-8 that has a rip cord oh and you just rip it and it goes across the the floor real fast and it's just cute and my my nephews and niece were are always like really excited about it when they're very tiny tiny human beings they like to watch it go (laughs) and i like to watch it go (laughs) yeah that's cute so that's it those are some of my favorite star wars things do you have any questions do you have any of your favorite things to share well i love the mandalorian i have Mm. not been watching the book of boba fett but i love the mandalorian and grogu for life he is that's the cutest thing ever he is very very cute yeah i stan grogu (laughs) and i stan the picture of pedro pascal who plays the mandalorian doing adr recordings (laughs) for an episode and holding a pillow because when he made the episode he was supposed to be holding grogu but he's just recording in a sound booth by himself so he's holding a little pillow and protecting it and that is the cutest thing I've ever seen. So yes, I have seen that. It's very <laughs> cute. <laughs> cool. But I love I love the um some of the like I actually like the movie Solo a lot and Okay. Rogue One and and uh yeah, the newer trilogy. And yeah. I just this morning I saw a headline about Hope Solo. Is she an athlete of some kind? I can't remember. Yes. Is she like a volleyball player? Soccer. Soccer. Okay. She, there was a headline about her and I was like, initially I'm confused and I'm like, what, what Star Wars character is this? (laughs) And I have to share this stupid story. I've probably told you this before, but years ago I had a dream. This was before the, the new trilogy came out. Okay. So it's been a few years ago. I had a dream that there was a new Star Wars film where Leia and Han had had a kid and they named him Emmett Solo. And Emmett Solo went on all these adventures and was kind of a dummy and <laughs> it was almost comedic. 
And I don't really remember much beyond that, but yeah, Emmett Solo is the <laughs> that the is Solo that never was. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Maybe you should write for Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's okay. Well, happy May the Fourth to everyone who celebrates. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and there's no good way to segue this, but <laughs> no, <laughs> you've been watching a, a cool series that that seems really interesting. Tell us about that. Okay. Yeah, this is not any kind of sci-fi thing at all, but (laughs) this is a show called Shining Veil, and it's on the Stars service, and it is, it's comedy, horror, but also kind of dramatic, and it's really hard to describe. It's sort of structured like a sitcom, and it's like only half-hour episodes, but it feels like they really pack a lot into each episode. But basically, first of all, it stars Courtney Cox and Greg Kinnear as a married couple with some kids. And they are really funny and funny together. But there's some serious things going on, too. So Courtney Cox plays Pat Phelps, who is a romance novelist. And her husband, Terry, is like a businessman. So Pat is a romance novelist. But she's also had an alcohol problem, and they decide to move to sort of a more suburban area after living in New York City because Pat has had an affair with their handyman. Uh-oh. And so, yeah. So Pat and Terry are not in a good place with their marriage, but they're trying hard to make it work. And of course, what you do when you have a dramatic problem in your marriage is you buy the creepiest, oldest house in like New England that you can possibly find because that's going to go great, right? I think it's a tried and true method. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is an automatic marriage counseling. Boom, everything's fixed. <laughs> and of course, they've got these very like angsty teen kids who are not into this. Of course. They- <laughs> Their daughter is named Gainer, which I think is kind of weird. And she's <laughs> very awkward. She's like super gangly and she's very like angry about everything. And <laughs> and their, their son Jake is like, he just wants to play video games and play VR games and like be in his phone and not, not interact with the family really at all. Right. Okay. So pretty quickly when they move in. And Pat is working from home trying to write a new book. She's trying to do like a literary comeback. And she's having a lot of writer's block, which is not relatable at all. (laughs) And so of course, she sets up her home office in the creepy attic of the creepy house. (laughs) Because sitting in the dark and the heat all day is really going to make you feel creative about writing romance, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. (laughs) And so almost immediately, she's noticing scary weird stuff in the house and just like lights and visions and things that shouldn't be and weird noises and stuff and she tries to tell terry about it and he's like you're just you know stressing out and they're both in therapy she's like on like medication for depression and stuff and so she starts thinking it's just side effects of things and then all of a sudden this like 50s housewife appears and it's like hi patricia and it's this ghost named rosemary who apparently lived in the house played by mira sorvino and pat is the only one who seems to be able to see her Mm -hmm. and it just kind of goes from there and we sort of learn over the course of the uh this is just one season so far of eight episodes and i'm most of the way through i have like two more to go but you know it's a lot about this couple's relationship and they each have their own sets of problems and family difficulties and work difficulties 
And Courtney Cox's mom is played by Judith Light, who is amazing and also not quite old enough to be Courtney Cox's mom. In real life. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? They look alike a little bit. Okay. Like they are of a type. Yeah. Like very tall, angular, you know, whatever. I see it. Yeah. And Judith Light is great. Mm-hmm. I really like her. And there's creepy things about the town of Shining Vale, which is a creepy name. <laughs> and I also think it's very telling that their realtor is played by Sherilyn Fenn from Twin Peaks. Oh. And she's playing this very upbeat, bubbly person. But, you know, I don't know. She can't ever not signify something <laughs> creepy going on. Oh, poor lady. Poor lady. And uh, yeah, and just every actor is really, really good. Their daughter starts to get sort of a little overly involved with some people at school that are kind of changing who she is and that's kind of getting disturbing Uh-oh. and yeah i don't know like i will say they also start finding rooms in their house that they didn't know about and stuff and that's always like never good <laughs> yeah and but i will say the tone of it is odd and because it's it's taking this like there are scary things that happen there are even a couple of kind of gruesome things that happen but it's also funny but it's funny in a really dry way and I think part of the reason for that is that it was co-created by Sharon Horgan, who is a British comedian and actress. And she's worked on some shows like Catastrophe, which was a little bit dark. She had an HBO show called Divorce that she created. So I think it's, even though it's American, it's got this very sort of British sensibility. And even though I only watched the first episode of it, it reminds me of the British version of Ghosts, okay. which CBS has adapted. And the t- the the two different versions of ghosts are very tonally different. And the British version is a lot drier and stranger. And Shining Vale is a lot more like that. So, okay, yeah, it's just like it's suspenseful. It's also it really owes a lot. It's doing some homage to a couple of different things. I think it's paying homage to things like the, the yellow wallpaper and the turn of the screw because it's all focused on is Pat crazy? Is she stressed out? Is she depressed? Is she acting out? Is she getting side effects from her medication. So it's very like, are these things actually happening? But it also has a lot in common with The Shining because it is this, you know, a writer trying to work from home in this environment that they're not aware is messing with them, you know? Right. And yeah, and then it kind of also has a lot in common with the first season of American Horror Story or even the Amityville Horror because it's about this couple who makes this attempt to solve their problems by changing their environment, but they don't realize that their environment has become worse. Mm -hmm. So in those senses, it is making some profound statements about mental health and relationships and, you know, whether you can really escape from your problems by changing your environment. Uh, But it is also kind of goofy and it's got a lot of like weird jokes and, and I don't know, the son using his VR all the time is kind of funny (laughs) for some reason to me. Yeah, and there's just some some funny, weird side characters and stuff. But episode five that really prominently features Judith Light, her performance is pretty amazing, and her character is really interesting. Um, And that pulls it away from pure comedy and horror into a little bit more relationship-based drama. So it's got some good reviews. It's I hope it gets a season two. I've really enjoyed it. But it is kind of like unsettling. And uh, I think we should expect more from our comedy sometimes. And I think this is a really cool example of a multi-genre mashup. And also, 
Courtney Cox can do some complicated stuff. I think we don't give her enough credit as an actor, and she's just really brilliant in this. And I mean, like, other than Friends, the biggest thing I've seen her in for a sustained amount of time has been Cougar Town, which was just goofy <laughs> and a really good under underrated show. But you know, she was not necessarily being stretched as a performer <laughs> in that. And uh, in this, she gets to be a little bit more mature and play to some complexity and also be a character who is a little bit more unlikable than the kind of people she usually plays. Mm-hmm. Pat, Pat is so far afield from Monica or even her character on Cougar Town. She is um, much more cerebral and a lot messier. And I think that's pretty interesting. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, it is good. I think you would like it. It's just enough horror with all your recent horror exploration, but it's not very much. It is mostly about, you know, comedy and family drama. Yeah. So Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I will. I don't have yeah. stars, but I, I will put it on my list and try to check it out at some point. Cool. Yeah. But we both watch something a lot different <laughs> tonally and a lot more lighthearted and a lot, I think, happier and cuter yes. <laughs> just recently. This episode is a little all over the place, but I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, we both watched Turning Red this weekend. Yeah. Which is the newest Pixar film. And it is about a 13-year-old named Mei Lin, played by Rosalie Chang. And uh, she's got a group of friends, Abby, Miriam, and Priya. And it's just about growing up and kind of figuring out who you are and how it's a little bit different than what your parents expect of you. But the the conceit of the film is that (laughs) once she kind of starts liking boys and growing up, she turns into a giant red panda when her emotions get out of control. (laughs) So it's about being able to control your emotions. And Uh yeah, do you want to tell us about like all the boy band stuff? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I... (laughs) Red pandas are not nearly as big as May's no. red panda self. <laughs> red pandas are little like raccoon size creatures and they're so cute. cute. I love red pandas. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen the meme of like the red panda standing up on its hind legs of like when when they're threatened they try to make themselves look yes. big, but it just looks like a little yeah. teddy bear and you're like, "Oh, that's, oh, it's adorable." It's not They're not imposing, but if you're like a giant like eight foot tall version which is what may turns into (laughs) then yeah it's it's not it's a little bit of a problem but okay there's this kind of subplot running through that may and her friends are really into this boy band called four (laughs) and this this film is also set in 2002 i should point out so it's very of that era of like the the absolute height of 21st century versions of boy bands. Yeah. And they're very into the into this group. I also I don't remember all the names of the particular boy band people, but there's clearly three favorites and then they're always like, "Oh, and so and so and so and so are fine also." <laughs> like they're clearly not the Well, favorite. the other thing is, the two that that like no one really cares about are both named Aaron, Aaron T and Aaron Z. <laughs> oh. Yes. Yes. And the other thing that's funny is that the songs that the boy band does were written by Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas O'Connell, who is the voice of a couple of the singers. So, oh, and I don't think of Billie Eilish and Phineas kind of is her 
serious collaborator all the time. So a lot of her songs and her production, like I feel like they're kind of more of a duo and they market her as the main artist because she does the vocals and stuff. But to think of the two of them whose music under the Billie Eilish brand is so alternative and kind of trip hoppy and spooky, uh, to think of the fact that they are very good at writing these really realistic early aughts songs is hilarious and amazing i had no idea that they wrote that music (laughs) yes they did they did it's so funny and the songs are like catchy like some of the lyrics seem like they're deliberately inane but the songs are catchy yeah they are my nibblings love the soundtrack so they'll go up to alexa and say alexa (laughs) play the red panda music (laughs) oh cute cute that's so cute well they're good songs and they get stuck in your head so that's a fun little little subplot and her friends are hilarious and made me laugh so much Uh, miriam something about miriam i felt like she looks like an actress but i couldn't place what she looked i mean these are cartoons and i I just, and she's not voiced by anyone that I know. There's just something about her look. Hmm. I couldn't remember what who she was reminding me of. Anyway, she was hilarious. Priya is really, really funny. But Abby. <laughs> oh, my God. I loved Abby. <laughs> Abby is like, I don't know. She's very aggro or something. She's like, she gets really excited and has a lot of energy. And it, like her, her enthusiasm sometimes turns aggressive. <laughs> Yes, she like yells everything. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. She can't be like a normal voice. She's so funny. No, no. And her her mom, May's mom, Ming Lee, is is voiced by Sandra O, oh, which I did not realize until the very end. I sat there the whole time thinking, oh, this is someone I know, but I don't want to look it up. And I was like, oh, okay. And a lot of this, like the the source of her turning into this red panda, is kind of based on family mythology. They are Chinese Canadian. And there's like this tradition of worshiping your ancestors. And also a lot of it is matrilineal, which was really cool. So this is a very, this film is very rich with Canadian, specifically Canadian Chinese culture. And also it's very feminine and very pro-woman and pro-womanhood. And it's just really beautiful Mm -hmm. and so sweet. And just like, about being true to yourself and um, making your own path in the world and learning what you want to focus on separate from your family, which can be painful, but also necessary. Exactly. I had tears streaming down my face during (laughs) the climax. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I mean, because you you learn about – throughout the film, her mom kind of alludes to, like, not having a great relationship with her mom – and then the dad, Jin, uh-huh. voiced by Orion Lee, he he kind of lets May in on the backstory a little bit about how her mom gets really, really big as a panda, like even much, much bigger than May's panda. And uh-huh. she and her mom had a big fight over, over Jin, actually. And it's also about the mom, Ming, having to kind of let go of her mom's expectations and like there's this one line about like disappointing her mom and i was just like oh my god i can't take this this is <laughs> this is too emotional <laughs> so it's very much about generational yeah expectations and 
merging what your family expects with who you want to be. And I think that's really, really mm-hmm. interesting and poignant and relevant to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I, I did want to mention that the animation is fantastic. There's a chase sequence where mm-hmm. Malin turns into the panda at her school and she has to run home. And the like the fur animation is just so good. And I was like, she looks so mm-hmm. soft. Yes, <laughs> I just want to like, yes. give her a big hug. Well, and especially Abby is very like, you're so cute when you're a panda and wants to yeah. hug her all the time. And it's like, oh, this is exhausting. But yeah, being being something that 13-year-old girls want to hug all the time it, as another 13-year-old girl is kind of like, ah, this is stressful and weird. Yeah, but if I had a friend who could turn into a pa- red panda, a giant red panda, I would also hug her all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the animation is adorable, but also, like, yeah, as you said, like, technically proficient and really impressive. But the way the characters are depicted is very cute. It almost reminds me, they look like the peanuts, kind of. Do you know what I mean? Like, they've got the really round heads and the little eyes, and they're just kind of cute. Like, it's just, they're all so (laughs) cute. And uh, like we said, the music is good. The colors are really good. Like, it's very, it's so bright and colorful and just pretty. And it's really funny. I was just laughing out loud throughout. Yeah, me too. I, at one point, I was watching with my friend, actually, and because Mm -hmm. it's set in 2002, at the height of boy bands and all of this stuff, I can't remember what exact line made me go, this was written by millennials. (laughs) But I think that's also part of why you and I maybe find it so relatable because, or so good and so entertaining because... Mm -hmm of the time period it's set in that's just mm-hmm. it's such a formative time in my life like i was in 2002 i was 14 years old and like really <laughs> big into nsync and backstreet boys and all that stuff <laughs> so i get it <laughs> well i was i was in my 20s then because i am a little older than you but it was still like like that was kind of one of the last I don't know, really innocent and fun periods of of North American culture, I guess. And and yeah. So like I was not into early aughts boy bands myself, yep. but it's also like I totally know their fans were joyful and enthusiastic and I can't, you know, argue with that at all. I was not not into Avril Lavigne at that time. <laughs> so I can relate to being into some dubious pop music of the early aughts for sure. For sure. Yeah, that just brought up the fact that I think it still happens today uh, with things like One Direction and pumpkin spice lattes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Things that teenage girls are really enthusiastic about are sort of always put down as not serious or, you know, not worth the time and stuff. And I think it's really cool that this plays into all of that and... It's like, you know what, they these kids are 13 and they're allowed to be really, really excited about four town. I almost called them O Town. <laughs> well, I think they're yeah, they are clearly modeled after things like the yeah. real O Town. <laughs> so I think that's cool. Why are they called why are they called Four Town when there's five of them? <laughs> A good question. <laughs> yeah. The boys themselves look like the boy Bratz dolls oh, that came okay. out around that time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was it was really fun. 
Yeah. And I liked it a lot. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there was a very controversial, we could, I don't know if you want to discuss this. There was a very controversial review of this by a man who said, unless you are Chinese Canadian female, you will not understand this movie or understand and relate to it. And I oh. watched this with my husband who really enjoyed it. And he is not a girl, Chinese, or Canadian. And he's like, I'm a human being. I understand empathy. And it was really cute. So for all the haters, it is, I think, totally universally appealing. So there you go. Agreed. Yeah, that is a very strange review. I don't. He must have been in a bad mood when he watched it because it's very joyful. So I don't know. <laughs> don't listen to that anonymous man. Listen to us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we both enjoyed it so much. Yeah. So next week, we're just going to talk about some more great pop culture stuff. So be on the lookout for that. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And you can find the show on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. You can email us at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. You can also find our website at PositivelyPopCulture.com, and from there you can find the link to the merch store. And please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and safe, and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>